before we start, are you ready to have your mind blown? Oh, go on. I'm going to ask you a question. My youngest daughter asked me this today. She said, What would happen hmm. if Pinocchio said, My nose is going to grow? Nothing. So he would have been lying. No, nothing would happen to his nose. Because he was telling the truth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? I don't. I, that's not how I came up with it. I thought it would grow. I don't think it would, because I think his nose would be sensible enough to go, well, if he lies, I will. But he's not lying, because if I, if I grow, then that means he was lying. But when he lies, it grows, so he's telling the truth. So you think the nose has got a separate brain as it's able to decide? Well, clearly. <laughs> well, obviously well, something's uh, going uh, on. <laughs> what a silly question to ask me. Honestly, what makes you think that the nose hasn't got a separate brain? How does it know it's lying if it doesn't listen to him? It knows its nose. That's how he knows, you see. So has the nose got ears? <laughs> they're like fish ears because they're called nostrils. <laughs> No, I just wondered what your reaction would be. But, yeah, interesting, saying it wouldn't grow so that he was telling the truth. It certainly would be a question to ask Pinocchio. Maybe he would know the answer. Yeah, maybe he would. Yeah, answers on a postcard. <laughs> what yeah. you think at home? Ask your kids, ask your family, see what they say. Oh, do you know, we've just started, like, a major debate now. This is going to be popping up in the news and everything. I hope it won't. It's just, it's just a th- it made my brain melt. I've got to tell you, it, it, I, I couldn't get my head around it. It was like a paradox within a riddle yeah see the see you would do that so whereas i was just quietly thinking through <laughs> if you can explain that in any more complicated way uh please do so in a message through <laughs> any of our social media well, yeah. well, or even emails. in fact you could you could be really brave <laughs> and you could send us uh your response by buying us a coffee and we could sit down and talk over a coffee now that would be amazing Oh, I wonder if there's a way people can take their coffees back. <laughs> no, there's no refund policy. It's on <laughs> buymeacoffee.com forward slash podcast jamsy. Go to the loo forward slash in the urinal. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> hmm uh, Go then. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I am Malcolm Childs. And I am James Skiffins. And we are Just Making Conversation. This is Season 2, where we discuss the ins and outs of the model-making hobby that brings us joy and pain in equal measure. From the greasy sprues and the gloss coats and everything in between, we are going to be Just Making Conversation. Remember, there are other podcasts you can listen to. Plastic Model Mojo. The Scowl Model Podcast. Plastic Posse Podcast. On the Bench. Model Geeks. The Sprue Cutters Union. Small Subjects. Head to modelpodcast.com for all the links. If you've enjoyed our podcast, consider leaving a review as it promotes this podcast to more people to enjoy. Showing your support to us is easy as making a cup of coffee. In fact, why not go over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash JMC podcast and do just that. Your support will help go towards making the podcast and its content just a little bit better.
In this episode, we'll just be making conversation about displaying your models and how to make them pop. Sometimes making your model is only part of the journey. How you display it could just make it stand out in that crowd, even when you'll be just displaying it in your own glass cabinet. So why should you take the extra time to ensure your model is displayed well? Having the model on a simple display base or even sliding it into a simple diorama with a few extras could just finish it off. A big thank you to our supporters. Simon the Jersey Gent, Steve Lee, Kilo Delta Papa, Mark, Julian, Ray, Neil, Mike, Robert, Andrew, Giroux, John, Mike, Jeff, Richard, Lynn, Gordon and four others who took the time to buy me a coffee. If you would like to grind some beans for us, come join us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash JMC podcast. Is that right? Correct. If you do show your support, then why not leave us a message as well with your name so we can give you a shout out. So, Malcolm, what's in the post bag today? Oh, yes, the post bag. I have it on a tab in front of me somewhere. Do you want to talk about the Heritage Con 14 first, or do you want to do that as part of the Musaru Cup update? Let's do it. Okay. Do you want to do the email as well? Do the whole lot? Yeah, let's do a whole lot while we're all loosey-goosey and ready to go. Okie dokie then. Looking in the post bag in the mailbox, busy always, we had a message from Duncan Young, who is from IPMS Hamilton, which is lovely to hear from you. Thank you very much. And uh, he was saying, Happy New Year to the crew from IPS Hamilton. Happy New Year. A couple of things he wanted to touch upon. And firstly, Heritage Con 14, which is coming up, obviously, uh, the IPS Hamilton annual show and contest back for 2022. It will be held at uh, their club home base, the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum in Hamilton in Canada. The show is scheduled for this March the 27th. Assuming that the current COVID doesn't disrupt things, uh, everything's open and back up again. So well done, everybody over there. And uh, yes, hopefully it's all going to be part of our memory. He does say on here, we would appreciate any and all plugs. Plugs? <laughs> We're not sending plugs over because you've got, I think they've got funny plugs in Canada. Haven't they? they haven't got the three pointy ones, they've got the two ones. I thought they did have the three-pointy ones. Oh, I don't know. If I just upset everybody in Canada by accusing them of having two-pronged plugs. Not everybody in Canada listens. I'm sorry, Canada. Don't think they would mind if we didn't know what plugs, but I'm pretty sure that they have three-point plugs. Okay, well, answers on a postcard or an email to tell us where we stand with the plug situation. And if they are like our plugs, they're the best plugs in the world. The only plugs there are in the world that should be in the world are three-pronged plugs. <laughs> <laughs> three plong plugs let's move on we have a poster uh, and some links that we're going to put up in our facebook yeah we'll, we'll put them out for you no problem at all of course we're happy to support you just going to have a look at heritagecon.com and all the information will be on there ah yeah yeah they've actually put a poster on the, on the email as well whoa that's brilliant that's a heck of a poster love it yep I'm looking forward to their competition. I'm sure they're going to do us a, a show report of some description. If you want a hand doing that, Duncan, then all you need to do is supply some pictures and I'll put one together for you if you want me to. Uh, no problem at all. And of course, the other thing, the the very important thing, not the most important thing, but equally as important, Musaru Cup 3. 
they have an update for us. Basically, they realized they left the date for the submissions that we have to give them a bit loose and ambiguous. So to correct this, they've just pre-warned us that Saturday, March the 12th, 11.59 EST, Eastern Standard Time, is the closing date and time for our entries. Their plan is to judge the digital entries in the two weeks leading up to Heritage Con and make an announcement regarding this year's winner on the day of the show. Oh, is that going to be live? It will be, yes, if it's on the day of the show. It'll probably be done by a human. (laughs) Pre-recorded. Yeah, what I meant by live was, are they going to do um, uh, a live announcement on YouTube or Facebook or something? That would be cool. I know there's a possibility that a podcast or two might be there, but don't let them do it. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Don't let them do it, because that would show us an air of bias. Well, could you imagine if Canada won it and it was in Canada? Oh, dear. Oh, oh. wow, yeah. The uproar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to find out who's won. I've, yeah. I have actually seen a couple of pictures of other people's entries this week. Yes, they look lovely. All of them do. Yes. Oh, it's very exciting. I don't know how they're going to choose. They also say, which is really nice that these, they've said so, is that they thanked us for the participation in the Moosery Cup. And they said the YouTube video we dropped early in the year's contest was fantastic. I mean, it doesn't say this in the email, but I think we may have won first prize already <laughs> on the video challenge that was given to all the podcasts. So, guys, if you're listening, you have got until the 12th of March at 11.59 Eastern Standard Time to get your video submissions in for the challenge. <laughs> um, otherwise, uh, the UK will steal that away from you. Well, I think, yeah. I think, in fairness, we won it right at the beginning. But hey, let's, let's not big ourselves up too much, eh? Hey? Brilliant. Wonderful. While we're talking about Musaru Cup 3, and while we're talking about all of the competition stuff, should we do a Musaru update? <gasps> oh, Straight off the bat? Yeah, straight off the bat. Straight out of the stocks. As long as everybody listening doesn't tune out afterwards, that's fine. I don't know when they tune out. Actually, look at the statistics. I think they tuned out middle of season one. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do this update. Moose Roo Cup. The Moose Roo Cup. Let's talk about the Moose Roo Cup. Boom. Woohoo! The update indeed. Well, I've got some surprising news. Is it that there's no update again? Because I loved that in the early days when there was an update and there was no update. and Oh, it's so good. No, no, I, um, I'm not going to give too much away. Well, you have to. You have to. I'm not going to because we're recording this on the 20th of January. This is a Thursday evening as we're sitting, looking at each other at the screen and talking away. I am going to make Malcolm a promise that I will be finished by midnight Sunday. So I have literally got a few days. It will be done. Sunday this week. Done and dusted. Wow. I think in the last podcast, you made another promise. I did. You said that by the time we record the next episode, you would have done something. Yes, I would have finished the base. Have you finished the base? I have. No. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. For listeners, I am looking at his base. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Hmm. Um. That bit's done. That bit yeah, is done because cool. that bit goes with that bit. Yep. Yep. Like so, and then that that bit goes with that bit. That looks really nice. Just so people know, I'm looking at something that's really, really good. So. 
<laughs> people will see. Uh, whenever you release and decide to let people know what you're doing. To be honest with you, by the time this this cracks out, you probably would have seen what Malcolm has just been looking at. Okay. Because I, w- I will be leaking the pictures out over the couple of weeks. So, obviously, by the time we finish recording this and I have completed the model, there will be another week to wait for the release of this podcast. Okay. I'm with you. By the end of January, which is only a couple of weeks away, yeah, you will see everything in its entirety. Wow. Okay, cool. Well, they don't have to wait too long then. No, it's not too long. That's very exciting. Yeah, so we, we I literally, uh, this evening, have, um, have done the last little bits. In fact, actually, you haven't seen this. But I might be able to show you that. I don't know. If, hang on. I'm going to have to get... Just bear with me as you all watch me get up and turn the light on. For listeners, James has got up and now turned on the light and has returned. Oh, tell me you can see that. The camera is like a potato. I can't see a thing. Oh, that's his head. Oh, yes. Yeah, that looks really kind of praying mantis-like. That's brilliant. That's just brilliant. Love it. Why I'm so confident is, uh, let me explain. What I've done this evening is I have painted the last pieces so they've all got their, their primary coats and colours and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and this evening, after I finish speaking to Malcolm, for your delights, um, I will be putting a ceiling coat on everything. And then I have the weekend to play Ooh. to get all its final effects, etc. Are you going to weather it? Uh, subtly with some sort of way, yes. It's, it's not going to be battered. But it's not going to be pristine either. Battered, like a Mars bar. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Deep fried Gundam. (laughs) Deep deep fried Gundam. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, so it's going to be done. It's going to be finished. It could be off my bench. Well done, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Well done. I had every faith in you. Yeah, so there you go. That's the Musaru Cup update. Wonderful. I think it's even taken you by surprise, hasn't it? I think you remember you saying that once you knew what you were doing and you were confident of what you were doing, then it just has finished itself. It was important that I was a part of it because that's part of the rules, Malcolm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you haven't got a third party in. You haven't outsourced it. Though there's been no source involved at all at any point. Tea, lovely, thank you. Oh, a cup of tea. Hello, James. Sorry, I can't make you a cup of tea remotely, but uh, I would have done if I could. (laughs) Delivery, it. Yeah. (laughs) Don't deliver it. I don't want the delivery man breathing on it to keep it warm. What are we talking about today? We are going to be talking about displaying your models Mm. and the importance of, or not, of uh, the part of the journey. We we mentioned it in, in the introduction. Could it be a part of your journey, whatever that piece may be? It's an extra string to the hobby, isn't it? Yeah. It's an extra string to the bow of model making. If you are making the models, then that's great. But once you've finished it, then what do you do with it? What do you do with that thing? Do you chuck it in the bin? Do you take a photograph it and stick it on social media? Do you put it on your shelf and proudly show anyone who arrives at your home? Or you take it to your local model club? You know, what's the next step once you finish that model? You mentioned there about displaying your model on social media, and, and that is important, mm-hmm. uh, which we have spoken about that 
in the past, I believe. I believe we have. In in the photography section um, of our podcast in season one. I think we're also the social media section as well. As in the social media as well, yeah. For For most people, I would say most people, that listen to a podcast or watch YouTube, their interaction on social media in some form is... There are very few modelers that I'm aware of in my circle of things that aren't on social media in some form or another. Uh, so that is part of the displaying as well. That's kind of where you get your model making friends from, I suppose, isn't it, is, is social media. Hmm. Um, personally, I know quite a lot of modelers who are not on social media. Ah. And for them, it's quite a personal thing. So they make their model, they stick it on the shelf wherever they are at home. And that's it, you know, whether they're living with family or friends or something, then no one gets to see them, just for them hmm. and no one else. And, and that's what they build for. Uh, it all depends on, on how, how confident you are with what you're showing off, I suppose. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a second, because I have a question to pose to you about that. Is, that. is that how you envisage your model to be on a shelf, just by itself, as a collection of models that you've made? Do they go off to, to competitions? Or even a show, club table, for example. So do you take your models to a club and then on to a show where you're supporting your club by showing your models? Well, for me, the majority of my models are sat in boxes in the garage. Mm. And that is because I would take them to model shows to show on my local model club table. And so once they get back from the model show, they stay in the box. Because one, I haven't got the room to put them anywhere. Mm. And two, I don't want to break them. Because they don't travel well, do models, do they? And they don't travel in and out of that box easily. So they stay in there and they're safe. <laughs> if someone ever came around to the house and said, oh, I'd love to see your F-15E, I'd go, oh, wait there. And I'd go and get it. Mm. But then uh, they say the minority of models that I make go on my display case, an Ikea one, that has mirrors all the way around it. There's some extra sort of fakey shelves in there. Mm-hmm. And I would say it probably holds about 20 aircraft that I've built four or five years ago. And then some of the more modern builds and some builds that, and then that kind of mean something to me. You know, this particular kit that somebody gave me or a group build or something that I was part of. Those are in, in there. They're not great builds in terms of mm. perfection or, or nice weathering or build quality. It's just builds I like and I had, I had fun doing. So... Those are in here, uh, in in the lounge with me on display. Uh-huh. And I'm quite lucky that my family respects that, that that's my hobby, and nobody's allowed to go in there with sticky, jammy fingers. No one's allowed to go in there and dust it. <laughs> in fact, uh, I used to have my A400 on display on the shelf, and my mother-in-law came over and wondered if the propellers went round. This is the one that was standing on its wing. Yeah, that's right, that's right. She said, Oh, it looks so real. I wonder if the propellers go around. And to find out, rather than just asking, <laughs> uh, to find out, stuck her finger on, on the propeller and tried to spin it. Uh, and they do now go around. Oh. That was fun. And then my father-in-law said, Don't worry, don't worry, we'll fix it, we'll fix it. And my wife, luckily, said, No, no, step back. Don't worry. <laughs> when Malcolm goes home, he will fix it. I wasn't even there. <laughs> and she was quite right. If you do break it, then say sorry here you go (laughs) Mm. (laughs) hey it happens just be honest it happens but that was funny because my whole family here know you know you don't touch the models but obviously my uh, mother-in-law didn't get that memo 
at least she's just showing us some interest in it. So that mostly they're behind glass or they're in a box. Um, or if they're my painted figures and things, they, they kind of sit on the desk in front of me for a little while. Mm-hmm. So that that was actually one of my going to be one of my questions was your display cabinet. Yeah. Do you have a, a system where you rotate or mm. maneuver what's in your display cabinet so you enjoy a variety of your builds or are only the precious ones get in there? Only the precious ones get in there. And once they're in, they're in. There's absolutely no way I could fit anything else in there uh, unless I made some other shelf. But then it would just be too too tight. You wouldn't be able to see anything then. It would just be packed in. Uh-huh. Because they're a little 172nd aircraft, they're quite flimsy. And moving them around, they don't like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't thank you for that. No. There is a little pile of wheels on the side of one of the shelves. <laughs> and pitot tubes and uh, bits and pieces that need to be fixed back on again. Yeah, they don't get rotated because of that, you know. And also my little dioramas are in there all lined up and kind of squeezed in. And to be honest, that, that M41 walker, uh-huh. I managed to squeeze it right on the edge. So when you open the door, it's kind of right in front of your face. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it doesn't look great because they look just piled in, but I just don't have the space in there, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I could go and take a few things out there, maybe. But, yeah, I like it. I like it. It's out of the way. It's actually um, when my wife's on on Zoom calls and Teams meetings. It's what everyone can see in the background of her uh, of her Teams meetings. So she's obviously pretty proud of it to be in in the lounge oh. rather than just having a, a generic bookcase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone has these days. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's how I display them uh, at home. And then obviously when we go to model shows, they get displayed on the, on the table on a tablecloth. Um, but what about you? I, I, I kind of already know that the answer, but I'm interested to delve deeper into how you display yours. You probably don't know the answer. Oh, okay. Uh, while while you were talking, I was busy thinking about my models and where they all are. So obviously, it's on social media, and you're aware of this, as uh, quite a lot of our listeners would be. I have a hobby room, and in that hobby room, I have a wall that is primarily display cases in which mm. some of my models sit in, in two sections and then in the middle i have shelving which is primarily aircraft that are built and and tune tanks and things like that however that is not all the models that i built up in the loft i have four boxes moving size boxes that are jam-packed full of um models mm. that are it, oh, I have no idea in what condition they're in, to be honest, because they are they were packed into the boxes with tiny polystyrene balls. Hmm. And I have moved several times and never take them out of the box. So, oh, wow. I would say they've probably been in the box now for... Oh, probably somewhere between 25 and 30 years. Good Lord. So I have no idea what condition they're in. And the reason I've... I've said all that is because i'm sitting here thinking to myself i've had an ingenious idea of what to do with them because it is always something that has been on my mind Hmm. i don't want to throw them away because they are part of my journey yep so thinking about it and thinking if if i had a display case that covered all of my journey Hmm. it would be enormous and my wife wouldn't like that she's a fan because i go in my little hobby room and don't disturb her but I don't think she would be happy with me going into the 
newly decorated front room with lots of models going, oh, I'd like that to be here. <laughs> mm. You don't display them on her uh, nightstand, then? No. Um, and we don't have them hanging from the ceiling or anything like that. Oh, maybe you should. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't that be fun? So, I mean, she's not a tall lady, so perhaps it would just stay there. It would be an advantage of having a, a wife that's a short ass. You're right. Yeah. Hide the stepladders. Absolutely. Um, and cushions, because I wouldn't want to throw in cushions. Anyway, um, but also I was thinking about the fact that you were talking about models that you take to shows. Now, you use, as far as I'm aware, you use uh, plastic um, boxes mm -hmm. with a bit of polystyrene and toothpicks and all that sort of stuff. I do, yes. Yeah, like like a lot of modellers do when they go to shows to show off their wares, mm -hmm. whether it be a club table or competitions. Maybe we should um, explain that to people who don't know what that is. Okay, so it's a big plastic box. Yep. In the bottom of the box would be some polystyrene, and you would get your 172nd aircraft, you put it onto the polystyrene, and then you get toothpicks. And you strategically place them around your aircraft so they don't move. Yes. In transit. Yes. Now, it doesn't have to be an aircraft. It could be a tank. It could be anything. But I've also seen, I know Malcolm doesn't do this, but I've also seen where people have a 50-liter box and put a second layer of polystyrene on top of first layer mm. with models underneath, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the uh, pillage, pillage of... Um, of some description to hold up the polystyrene and then put a second layer of models in. Wow. Um, very, very brave to do that. But um, as long as the polystyrene is the the correct width and there's no movement, yeah, you generally find with those 50-litre plastic containers that they slightly come in, don't they? Yeah, the at the bottom. bottom. Yeah. They're not normally straight up and down. So a couple of people use the polystyrene and cocktail sticks. I know some people like to make their own bespoke cardboard boxes for each of their models, and they'll cut all the mm. cardboard in the right way so that it fits in perfectly and it doesn't move and doesn't doesn't move mm. about in transit. I know one person who uses shredded paper. Oh wow! And he has a plastic clear box and he fills it with shredded paper, and then he has his models nestled in there. And it looks like he's carrying a hamster around with him, <laughs> which is hilarious. And I mention it every single time. Uh, one day, he will just make a model of a hamster and have it sticking out. Yeah. That'd be funny. I've not seen shredded paper, I've got to be honest, but it's a good, a good move. Yeah. Yeah. Good move. One thing I, w I would say for those of you who are interested in the packaging materials that were required for storage of models or et cetera, one thing I would advise you not to do is to buy very small polystyrene balls and put your models in those one of the reasons i fear to open the box is because i know that those balls will be inside the cockpits they'll be up the wheel wells all sorts are they really small like beanbag ones oh yeah they're like tiny tiny okay because i i i made it that way because i thought myself tiny balls that's good mm. lots of them will hold tightly the model and and then i realized after i poured all the stuff in it won't take that long just to brush them off. No, I mean, as long as there's no, no static owl. or anything, it'd be, uh, I think they'd be, they'll be fine. I mean, they, they, they've just sat there not doing anything. Any, any time they'll ever get any damage, if they, if they move or get bashed around, or something. they've only moved from three houses, uh, probably somewhere like six hundred miles. So they should be fine. Yeah, 
Speed yeah. bumps are the uh, the enemy <laughs> of those. The amount of times I've turned up to a model show and I've got six or seven boxes in the back, and I've driven carefully around the roundabouts. I've driven, I haven't braked hard, I haven't accelerated hard, and I get to the model show and the blooming place is a massive speed bump. Yeah, that you just can't you just can't get over without causing some issues. Yeah. And you go over the speed bump, and you can hear all the pitot tubes snapping and all the all the wings breaking. <laughs> ah. They should lower it for model shows. Yeah, they, <laughs> they should. Are you writing notes, James? Uh, yes, I am. Are you going to take a picture of a speed bump so that people know what they are? I am. I'm going to I'm going to put a speed bump on there with a, a picture of a model pitot pito tube on a speed bump. <laughs> What uh, do they have those in the states and in Canada? Speed bumps? Or is this a? a most of course they do. Or is this like a uh, traffic calming is different? Uh, different in many countries, but I would think that, that they are well aware of what a speed bump is. Okay, I'm interested. An extremely large lump of concrete left over on a road that makes everyone judder and lose half their suspension. In Russia, they have them and they call them potholes. <laughs> They used to call them sleeping policemen here, didn't they? They did, yeah, a long time ago. But you can't do that now, not polit- politically correct. All right, sleeping police person. Re- resting police person. Yes. A couple of the builds in which I've made four competitions, I have made bespoke boxes for. Yep. One particular model I can think of is the one of the builds I made was a Stalingrad build, which involved um, a scratch-built house and figures and mm. whatever. And I literally built a bespoke box that you sat in I um, carved and manipulated polystyrene to hold the model in place within the box in so many different guises yeah. and ways. But I also included in that box a a shelf that the model sat on, but underneath was a, a little hole in which I could then store any items that I might need to fix the model. So there was a box in there with a first aid box, yeah. if you like, yeah. for my model. So there was some glue, some super glue, some bits and bobs mm, yeah well that's a good idea definitely i mean if you're going to be putting onto a competition you need it to arrive as safely as possible don't you yeah i, f- I felt a bit pretentious at the time but I-, I was so glad that i did it yeah because it's been to that particular model has been to what five shows and i've had nothing break at all well there you go see like one of the things we said at the beginning uh was you know um why should you take the extra time to ensure your model is displayed well I would say making sure it gets there in one piece is worth investing a bit of time rather than just leaving it on your uh, <laughs> I mean, seat next to you and driving all the way or chuck it in the glove box. Yeah, same could be said about shelves and display cabinets. Yeah. Take the time to to think through what how you want to display your models. I mean, I, the reason I say that is because there is one particular person I'd like to to talk about. There is one person I'd like to talk about about displaying and I'm sure the person won't mind me mentioning his name. His name is Glenn Woodruff. He's a member of the Model Officers Mess on Facebook. I've known him for a few years, seen him at a couple of shows, and definitely seen his um, uh, his builds. Now, he does 172nd aircraft uh, incredibly well. Um, I can't say I hate him because I don't hate him. I'm just in awe of his work. Mm-hmm. He covers propellers and jets and all sorts, helicopters, as long as it's one seventy second, he does it. But what he does, he has a really entertaining way of displaying his models, and that is a very simple black base with a little plaque with white writing explaining what the what the model is, um, 
And he may go, in some cases, he may go as far as to have the squadron badge um, of the aircraft. Okay. Um, now, yes, he does enter them in competitions. I will say that right up front. That's fine. However, he also displays on his, his club table, because he's a member of uh, his local yeah. club, and all these little square um, plinths with the models on, they're all the same size. Um, the the plaques are pretty much all the same size, depending on the description of the, the aircraft. Mm. Um, so there's a, a uniformity. Oh, look at that. Big word. Uniformity. Uniformity to the way he displays them. But they just absolutely jump out at you and are oh. awesome. So does he make these bases himself? Um, yeah. They are literally just a piece of MDF. That he cuts into a square, and I think he puts a router around the edge to give it a little bit of a beveled edge. I'm with you, yeah. And the, and the plaque, does he make those himself too? That I don't know. I've never asked him, is the honest truth. Well, now it gives you the chance to, one, ask him, is it all right if we mention his name? <laughs> and ask him what he does. I will ask him, but I will also, I've written it on my list of goodness, uh, because I'm going to select a couple of the models to, to show our listeners what I mean. Hmm. He's very good at photography as well. So he photography when he he photographers when he takes pictures of his pieces. The on the plinth is the last picture. There are other pictures. He's got a very keen eye. Mm. It always amazes me because they are so simple in form that you just can't go wrong by showing that. And as I'm busy waffling, I'm about to send you a picture of a vampire T11. So he has considered, from the very beginning, I suppose, in his hobby, of how he's going to display his models from thus forward. Yes. And stuck with it. And it works as a way of displaying. Yeah, I actually, I remember asking him at a show, because I thought that he'd done them for a particular... Uh, I think the first time I see him, I think they were, he got a load of Spitfires, different types of Spitfires. They're all on a similar plaque, displayed in a similar way. And I thought, oh, you've done the Spitfire from Mark One to Mark however many. And he said, no, that's how I display my models. They're all like that. Wow. So I've just sent you in the messages a picture of the vampire. That's lovely. Yeah, I can imagine if they're all lined up like that, then in, yeah, wow. Good for him. I know Glenn will be happy for me to share his work. So um, that will be in our show notes, etc. Um, but we're talking about a 172nd de Havilland Vampire T11. Uh, now, this particular one has got a 141st Squadron from RAF Cottesall, mid-1950 to early 1956. Um, so, yeah, he's obviously done a little bit of research into the, the particular one he's made. Yeah. Um, and... And yeah, it just it just sings to you. It just they're, mm. honestly, they're awesome. So he's he's gone for all about it's all about the aircraft. Yeah, the aircraft that he's built is the main event. Yeah, um, it's not about where the aircraft is. It's not about fitting that aircraft into a display or a mm -hmm. diorama mm -hmm. because the base is back. So obviously, he's removing anything from your eye view or your eye line, let's say. But he is considering, because he's put a base on, he's obviously trying to hold your eye to the aircraft rather than, you know, letting you see anything else, which is nice. I think if it was a Blackbird, I'm not sure a black base would work. I think you might have to go the opposite way. 
you know, a blackbird is Fifty Shades of Grey bird, really. <laughs> Isn't it? You know, a blackbird on a black base would be fine. He's making sure you only focus on the subject itself, which is nice. The reason I mentioned him specifically and the way he does it is because I want to try and encourage people to to think about displaying their, their items and how they display things. Even if it's on a shelf, even if it doesn't go to a show, mm. and even if it's just for you to look at. Well, also like the, the position that the audience would be looking at it, which way around on the shelf it's going to be. There's yeah. so many different things you consider. Uh, usually when I'm making a model, the side that it gets displayed on is the side that doesn't have all the mm-hmm. fingerprints and and the side you painted. You know, everything else is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the side that I painted. Uh, you know, its best side, the model's best side, rather than displaying yeah. the object in its best way. I always try and put it on a base mm. of some description as well, no matter what that is, whether it's a plain wooden base like the, you're showing here, or it's uh, just a, a simple yeah. picture of a base, you know, a picture of a, a runway um, or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, what's the name of the company? Coastal Display. Coastal. Is it coastal Display. Coastal Kits. No, not Coastal Kits. No, it's not Coastal Kits. I'm sure it's Coastal Display. But even having one of those under your model, um, when you photograph it, or even you just constantly display on it, is fantastic because it just gives you that context of where that model lives. It makes such a difference. Coastal Kits. Coastal Kits. There you go. Yeah, go and check them out. We'll pop, we'll pop a link in, and James is going to write that down. Yeah, I definitely am. They're a great company to go to. If you are not um, the sort of person that wants to do dioramas and all that sort of mm. stuff, um, but maybe it doesn't interest you or maybe you're not sure how to do it, whichever. If you've made some helicopters and you want them to be on a helipad, those are the people to get. They are really, really good. They are bases, but they also do background sets as well. So you can fill your heart's content with uh, any options. So, for example, I can think of somebody that builds cars and has got a, I think it may be a pit lane yep, or something to that effect. It's a Monaco Monaco finish line. Yes, and he, he displays his cars quite often yep. on those. Uh, and it looks And it looks great. It does. It, and also, the other thing with that is, is, is often, I've heard this often said, that people weren't sure whether it was a model or the real thing. Yes. But it's also a really good compliment about the fact that you've taken the time and trouble to put it yeah. onto a base like that, which which, is, which literally is a purchase. It's no more than that. He does all different scales as well. 144 scale, all that sort of thing as well, too. Um, one of the one of yeah. the great ones I saw is is is, is uh, water, um, so you know looking from above down to the sea, and it's got mm-hmm. the concentric circles of uh, a downblast from a helicopter, sort of spreading out. Yes. So you could quite happily have a Sea King or another um, sea-based helicopter hovering over that that effect where, where you can see the um, downblast from the rotors. It's brilliant. Really like it. Very clever. It's very, very clever. Yeah, there's um, a lot of movement into it. But also, like I said, it gives you context as well. Yeah, it also does um, like the blurred effect as well. So it, it gives you an uh, an element of movement. Yes, yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? So you've got an aircraft that's flying over something. Uh, obviously, if you took that picture, it would be a, a blurish background. Uh, and that's that's what he's got, and um, that moment for you to think is that what is that moving? Is that <laughs> real? Oh, I'm not it's, sure. it's clever. 
I've seen ones where, yeah, it's a blurred runway. So it looks like you could put a, you could do a taking off diorama, couldn't you? Or a taxiing runway yeah. or something like that. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, another, another string. Personally, I'm not a fan of putting the moving parts in, uh, moving things. You mean uh, putting an engine on a uh, on a model? Uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know if that's because I'm lazy or whatever, but I'm not. I'm just not a fan of movement side of things. That's a whole different ball game. If you had a, a rotor going around on a on an aircraft, you'd have to try and make sure it was going around at, at the right speed, you know, so that it looked correct. And <laughs> yeah, I, kn- I know what you mean. Uh, you have to make sure it doesn't overheat and everything else, you know. So the, I, I, the only time I've seen that work particularly well you you might know exactly who i'm talking about at telford uh one year they had a company there that was selling uh engines for aircraft but they also came with a soundboard oh, okay so uh for example you'd have a, a wellington a 172nd wellington and the engine would start up in sequence and you get the noise of the engines building up building up and, and eventually you have all four engines going and then they shut down. And what I liked about that, the noise actually, the, the sound that was that was being generated, actually took your brain away from the fact that the propellers weren't running in scale, speed wise. Yeah. And it and it hid that noise of the plastic going. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was brilliant. I and and it made for me personally it made the whole idea of doing that a lot more appealing because exactly like you, I'm just like, well, that not look right, does it? But mm. well, for me, I don't know. It, it's a lot of work and it makes it, we talked about toys before, it makes it almost like a, a toy, having that try me button. Yeah. You know, that you see in the shops and everyone's going to be pressing that try me button, aren't they? But it, it also, oh God, I'm going to sort of defend this in a way. Our railway listeners will be excited because I'm talking about them for a bit. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We, we need to have a, a warning. <laughs> warning. Turn off. We are going to be talking about railways. I totally agree with you in every shape and form, in everything you said. However, the airport at the Hamburg um, place, yep, yep, thing, whatever it's called, the yep. world's biggest, biggest um, railway. Thing now, I'm sorry, yeah, well, th- that's... but that is awesome. Sure, that is so cleverly done. And and yes, they are toys. And yes, you know, you're watching your 747s go off and all that and the other, and all of a sudden the Millennium Falcon comes in and lands. And you're like, it's a giggle, it's a bit of fun, it is, and it's fantastic, it's amazing. So, hmm. yes, there is a place for it, definitely. Um, I'm not saying that all um, models that move should be railway. Because that would be wrong. What I kind of mean is what, what I'm talking about is how I see it doesn't enter my mind to to put a motor into something or even lights or even a soundboard for myself, for my own work. You know, I, my my work, my own projects and things. Um, it's not something I would want to go down. And I kind of and I, when I see it at, at shows and things, I kind of kind of go, oh, okay. And pass on. It's not, it's not something that interests me. I got a theory with this. I think it's because you just haven't done it. Well, maybe that's true. Well, no. Now that now, in true style, um, I'm now going to go back on everything I've said because <laughs> <laughs> I have a plan 
um, for the next uh, series of model shows that we go to with Models for Heroes. We're going to have lots of turntables on the table. On those turntables are going to be lots of very thin brass rods sticking out. Okay, And on the end of those brass rods are going to be 144th scale aircraft built by lots of different beneficiaries. So we're going to have lots of aircraft flying around doing circles uh, around our model display. And it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a health and safety nightmare, uh-huh. but it's going to be really fun. And they, <laughs> they're all going to be flying. So everything I've just said is rubbish because um, it, it's going to be a giggle. I wouldn't do it on my own, you know, in my own display cabinet. I wouldn't have that. No. I would certainly have it on model show because the kids are going to love it. I mean, I set it up, right, at home to test it, to make sure it works. And I literally spent an hour playing with it. <laughs> and literally an hour. And my and my kids were playing with it and we were making all the engine noises. And oh, it, was, it was really cool. So I, I can't wait to put those on display. So. <laughs> we also thought about doing like a ter- putting a turntable under a helicopter and having a rod goes from the turntable through to the rotors so the helicopter doesn't move but the rotors turn with the turntable that was quite a clever idea um but you know it's it's all about trying to attract people to the to the table rather than showing off uh something to do with the aircraft or something to do with the the model I think that's the thing with model making, isn't it? Is that, you know, if you make a model that has lights and sound and all that sort of stuff, when you have it at home on a on an average day, none of that's going to be working. None of that's going to be switched on. <laughs> yeah. It's only only if your friends come in. Well, you say that, but I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Steve. Well, yeah, that's true. He does. He, well, yeah, but he doesn't. That Yes and no. <laughs> I'm going to go yes and no with that. When he's doing his YouTube stuff, yes, he does turn on his models, but they don't they don't work all the way through the night, and there are times when he's not doing his YouTube things that they're not on. Yeah, well, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't have the public in walking through. Uh, I don't think they... Uh, Hamburg as well, I think they probably turn all their stuff off at night as well. What you've got to remember is the airport has to shut down for health and safety reasons and because um, it doesn't want to annoy its neighbours. So... You know, there, there are laws to that. So, yes, the Hamburg uh, airport does shut down at some point. Hmm. Yeah, sure enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, every time I see uh, his display in the back behind him when I watch his uh, stuff on, on YouTube, he's, yeah. he's always got all the lights on and everything uh, blinking away, which just looks great. In, in sci-fi, it totally makes sense to me. If I was going to do something science fiction, I'd have lots of lights blinking on it and things like that. Not my bag, I guess. But it's the same as the going back to the build that I made. That that's got lighting in it, hasn't it? With the explosion. Now, if if that wasn't in its in its travel box and was in the display cabinet, I probably would have that on all the time. Well, not all the time, no, because it's battery powered, so it would run out. But I probably would. I probably go to the effort of changing the source of electric to it so that I could switch right. on and it could run for a period of time because I enjoyed the effect it got. It didn't work as well as I wanted it to, but it, you know, it was the first time I did it, and it ticked lots of boxes for me. So the, the fact that it's sat in a box, not displayed, is a little upsetting yeah. because I really enjoyed making that, and there was a lot of things in which I learned. And sometimes by displaying your builds, it could inspire you for your next build. It could inspire other people from you watching you on YouTube or visiting the den. Well, one of the things I like to have in a base is have some sort of color from the base represented in the in the the aircraft or the tank or something, so that it makes sense that the the mud from 
that you have on your model, say, is mm-hmm. come from the same mud that's on the base. You know, I always think that's quite important. You feel that the the, the base has to tie into the model in some form. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, because it's in that world, isn't it? Whatever mm. little world you've made, it's, it's in that world. And yes, oh, okay, it could have driven from one place um, onto the road, and suddenly it's the road doesn't match the mud. But <laughs> in that case, you would be. I can't think of another word other than anal. It would bother you that there wasn't a contextual transfer. Yes, it would. Unless there was like a little trail of mud or something, yeah. Yeah, so you'd do the little tire marks onto the clean road and all that yeah, sort of stuff because, you, because you'd need to tie in the context of your model. I would. Yeah, that's just me. I think that's a good point to make. Going back to Glenn, Glenn has, Glenn has made uh, effectively a design idea with his yeah. base, so they tie into all the models he makes. Yeah. So in theory, um, or I, I don't know this is 100% true, but I'm fairly certain most of the models he makes are on the basis. So in theory, you could be at a show and you could see that model and go, oh, Glenn made that because they're quite distinct in the way they're displayed. So you've made that design design decision. And that's sort of that's sort of what I mean, really, is that, you know, you, you build a model and stick it on a glass shelf What's the context to to that model to the other models on that on that shelf? See, the one thing that would wind me up terribly and does, in fact, wind me up terribly in my own display cabinet is that I can't have an aircraft with a tank. <laughs> I can't have an aircraft. Well, no, that's not true. I do have an aircraft in this this scenario, but I don't like it. <laughs> if I had the opportunity to, I would have an aircraft that was all the same scale. In fact, the reason I'm saying that is because I know behind me there is a, a shelf that is 148th and there are a couple of other scales there, but I've actually moved some away and put them on a different shelf because I don't mm. like the fact that they're yeah the wrong scale. And the same with vehicles. I'm Yeah, I have yeah, no, that's, with that's that. quite a, that's quite a, so, a common thing, uh, quite a common way of wanting to display your stuff is in scale, you know. Everything is the same scale in, mm. in the same place. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me uh, talking about him, but I know a, a chap called Andy. He loves his airliners and his sci-fi, and he has separate rooms where he displays different scales. <laughs> so he's got his 1350 room. He's got his 172nd and his 144th room. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And you know, there's display cases in those rooms that have the different scales. And when he makes something that isn't the wrong scale, he really has to really work, work out where he's going to put it because it's it can't have it in the wrong place. I can understand that and I can respect that. Mm. What's the word? What is it he's trying to do? He's trying to display all the other models as well as the one he's putting in there. It's not about that one model, is it? it's about the collection of those models. Yeah, it's a continuity in displaying of, of scales yep. and, and maybe even to a point with type yep. because I know people that also do that as well where they – they they won't have a second world air world war aircraft next to a first world war aircraft yeah. because it, the context is wrong. Yeah, I, I've got modern aircraft on one shelf, and then I've got everything else on another shelf. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, I think we all subconsciously make those decisions anyway, hmm. um, and there are very few, I, I would surmise, that have a shelf of. I'll oh, bung it up there. Yeah. I know I do know of somebody that is like that, to be honest. But, <laughs> but um, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just I think consideration should be made um, to what's going to happen to the model after you built it and where you put it. I think yeah. that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Um, 
if you just want to put them in a line of, you know, chronological order, and this is what I've made at the beginning, and this is what I've made like the most recent, then then that that's fine. But long as there's something that represents. Well, I I have a friend that has exactly that approach. They have a chronological order of their builds. Um, and as you go along oh, the builds, once you get to, if you say, for example, you start on the right, and my hand is now pointing on the left. Um, <laughs> if you start start on the right, oh, that's okay. I've right. taken that into account without realizing. Uh, yeah, you start on the right. That's my most recent build, and you go along the shelf, and then they get older and older and older, and then all of a sudden you come to the end of the shelf, and the other side of that shelf is a bin, and they literally go uh. from the shelf into the bin if they're. Yeah, if there isn't space. Oh, I get pushed off, of course. <laughs> it took me a long time to get my head around that, but it makes sense. Is that John? It's John, John yeah. I mean, John does things with these models that are no longer on the shelf. He has a mindset mm. that I like to get pleasure out of what I built. Um, and yeah. once that model was moved along the shelf um, and it comes to the end of the shelf, I, uh, I, I finished my pleasure from that. I'm now looking at my other models, my newer models. Uh, and it and it makes yeah. sense. It does actually, and it's a very oh, there's a big long word, but I can't think of what it is. Cathartic. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, he enjoys the process of it going along the shelf and going into the bin, and then it's out out of his mind anymore. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit extreme, but it stops for him. It stops that inevitable problem that model makers have of where am I going to put it? Yeah. Doesn't matter. I haven't got room for another model, but I want to make another model. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You do have room, just have made room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get it wrong, if he builds a, a locomotive in one thirty fifth, then he might lose more than one model mm. on that shelf. Yes. Because there won't be room otherwise. Um It's kind of almost like a nomadic model making lifestyle, isn't it? Mm. Right, I finished that one. Great. In the bin. Next one. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I could do that. No, so I I couldn't. I like I said, it took me a long time to get my head round it in a way in which I I could talk to him about it. Uh, initially, when I realised that's what he did, I I really didn't understand him. Quite jealous that he's able to do that. To be honest with you, I think that was I think that was part of the reason I couldn't get my head around it is because it, it made me question why I've got five boxes up in the loft of models that I made when I was a young person, and, and do I really need to keep them? But yes, is the answer I do. Well, you should go and have a look at them. Go and pull them out. Are these all aircraft you have in storage? Yeah. I do need to get the boxes out, and I do need to see just how badly they've survived. Yeah. I would love to be able to keep some as part of my history of my journey. Sure. But, yeah, it'd just be nice to to have them, and and it's a shame to have them up in the loft. For When I croak it, someone go, what's in this box? I mean, go, what the freaking hell is all this crap? (laughs) Well, that's it. Nobody will want it. No. Unless it is displayed nicely. Yeah. And doesn't take too much space up. Yeah, I know a couple of people who do put this stuff up on the wall. It looks great. And what we're talking about uh, displaying your models on your shelves at home and on model shows. What about in competition areas then? What what things do you need to consider when you're putting a model into a competition? I know that we we touched on this um, when we were talking about this model shows in season one, but it kind of makes sense to talk about it here as well. Mm-hmm. In that show, we talked about how, the position of your model and how important it is, whether it's at the back or whether it's kind of at the front or whether it's in the dingy corner or whether it's the first one you see 
you know, and all those kind of extra little things will make a difference. Also, how you write out your little ticket, uh-huh. write it neatly and clearly, all those little things make a difference and may just push a judge over the edge and thinking, oh, yours is slightly better because of some subconscious thing. I guess I'm kind of misunderstanding the way that judges work, but I know what humans are like, <laughs> you know. So consider how it's displayed. So making sure your achievements are looking their very best will increase your sense of completion and inspire you more, leaving you with just that little extra pride. It doesn't have to be a diorama. A simple base could just be that little extra that makes it stand out. Competition areas are full of builds, and you want yours to be the one that stands out or sticks in the mind of those judges. Next time on Just Making Conversation, we will be talking about the world of wargaming and falling down that rabbit hole. Goodbye. Goodbye. Cheers. See ya. Bye. Take care. Love you. Coastal kits. Speed bumps. Glen. Hamburg Railway. Packing balls. <laughs> That's the highlight. Do you know, I'm going to take that to Tesco's one day and go, I got the shopping list. We need some speed bunts and some very small balls. <laughs> Typical JMC podcast about everything else but the thing we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> I enjoyed that. No worries.